Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars Hello there, my name is Tom Chick and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the week of, oh, I don't know, it's sometime early January. I'm going to guess January 11th. My co-hosts will let me know how I did in just a moment. Uh, but as I said, my name is Tom Chick, and I feel it's important that I tell you that my game of the week is not Anarchy Online. Thank God. Um, I'm Jason McMaster, and it is January 11th, and my game of the week is most definitely not... Ashron's call. Mm. Hello, my name is Brian Rubin, and my game of the week is definitely not Darklight Conflict. Oh, Brian, that's mean. Wasn't that like an underdog space game? It was a horrible space game. I, I, I couldn't stand that one. <laughs> you know, actually, all I can say about that, Brian, is that I remember the name. Beyond that, <laughs> I don't think there's a single thing about it I could tell you. It had a big marketing push at the time, if I recall. And are you positive it's not going to be your game of the week? I don't want you to paint yourself into a corner here. No, I'm completely positive. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad I did well on the date. Brian, welcome here. We are glad to have yes. you. Uh, I feel that people should know that you post on the Quarter to Three forums as Brian Rubin. Yeah. Also, yeah. <laughs> you, I, I think you know this as well, you have a, when people think Brian Rubin on the Quarter <laughs> to Three forums, I'm pretty sure they also think spaceships that's what i'd like them to think so i'm happy about that what is the deal with that um i've been a fan of spaceships ever since i saw the uh, original enterprise from star trek when i was four years old on tv i was just hooked ever since and um, i started playing games very early uh one of my first space games was lunar lander on uh, the radio shack trs 80 on a cassette tape and that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that more of a fuel-slash-gravity management sim? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. but it was, in, it was in space, and my young mind was giddy. Um, but the game that really set me off was uh, Starflight in 1986, when I got my first DOS space computer. Mm-hmm. And that just started the whole ball rolling on the spaceship love. So it is. It it goes back to Star Trek. You're saying you you basically were like a Trekkie, and you just like the expression of that in video games. Uh huh. Yeah, I love the whole exploring space, uh, finding new planets, talking to aliens, all that stuff. I love it, and I was a hardcore Trekkie for many years. Sadly. Uh, now you say sadly. Is that something that you have since rehabilitated from? Yeah, I've kind of gotten out of most of it. I mean, I still have my. Uh, Airbrushed uh, Star Trek Next Generation uh, denim jacket from 1989. Um, wow. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious, but for the most part, I'm, I'm not a Trekkie anymore. Thank Brian God. Rubin, have you ever met William Shatner, and how did you react? I have seen him in person at many conventions, but the thing about that is to meet him in person, you had to donate $100 to one of his charities. Mm. And I just did not have that kind of money at the time. Jason McMaster, have you ever met William Shatner? Um, no, Shatner. Right. Well, that's, we then on this podcast are a trifecta, because neither have I. 
so, uh, Brian, since you're into the whole spaceship thing, if I'm not mistaken, you have a, a website devoted to your love of science. I don't know. Are they science fiction games? Are they specifically spaceship games? How, how do you how do you put this? What would how would you describe your site? Um, it's a it's a site about. Uh, it was inspired by a site called the CRPG Junkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a gentleman who goes through every computer-based role-playing game uh, pretty much ever and just plays them through. Uh, he does several game diaries on them. And so I thought, why not do that with my love of spaceship games? So it's called Space Game Junkie. Thank you for mentioning it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, ha- it focuses on any kind of game where you have some kind of direct control over a spaceship. Uh, yeah. this, this could be a shooter. I'm sorry. This could be a, a shooter or some kind of role-playing game where you fly a ship every once in a while. As long as you have some kind of direct control over a spaceship or even a space station, uh, it applies. Do you have anything currently running right now? Like you mentioned uh, in this, the CRPG Junkie website, he'll play through games. Uh, do you have anything currently running that you're working on right now in terms of a game you're focusing on? The last game I focused on was an indie game called Arvok Conflict or Avrok Conflict. I can never remember. Uh, I did some diaries on that. I did three or four of them. And then I took a break for the holiday, which kind of has something to do with my game of the week. Ah. But uh, my next diary, which I'm just starting on now, reading the manual, is going to be Distant World Legends. Ah, yes. Oh, I'll look forward to seeing that, because they do some really cool things. Uh, Yeah, you had some nice things to say about that, I heard, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll be curious whether the spaceship aspect works, because they have a a real complex, like, spaceship building uh, sort of subsystem, and I'm sure you would totally get into that kind of thing but they do this weird thing where you in a way never need to touch it um it's sort of like there's this great system and it'll run itself for you but uh i don't know i'll be curious what what you think uh there are a bunch of cool things in there though well i was reading the manual and it says there are several different ways to play the game and one of the ways it mentioned is you can start as like a starship captain that caught my eye too as well brian boy i remember seeing that in the manual and going "Ooh, i can't wait now have you tried it I'm going. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start as a starship captain and slowly work my way up the ranks to emperor. Uh, I will say that I feel I, I love that as a bullet point. However, as an actual way to play the game, I'm not quite sure that uh, it, it's a viable approach. But I, I, I would love for you to prove me wrong. But I remember that catching my eye in the manual as well. Yeah, I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work out, I'll just play the game as a normal 4X uh, eventually. But I'm going to try it and see how it works out in the long run. Uh, also, a shout-out to you, Brian. You did a game diary for Quarter to Three for a game that I remember when you were doing the diary, I'd heard about the game, and I had an intention of playing it. So I was just kind of I, I was kind of like half-reading, because I don't like to know much about games I know I want to play. So I was kind of half-reading what you were writing, and things were catching my eye. Uh, but it later ended up being one of my favorite games of the year. You did our Space Pirates and Zombies uh, game diary on Quarter to Three. Yes, wonderful game. I'm really glad that you found, you found yourself enjoying it because I think it can really appeal to a wide audience, even people who don't necessarily like space games in the initially. They could jump into this game and find a lot to appeal to them. Yep, absolutely. Now, I would like to go around the table in honor of Brian being here. And uh, what do you guys, what would you pick as the best spaceship ever? Now, that could be a tough question, so give it some thought. I'm actually going to take, as the guy bringing this up, I'm going to uh, go last because I want to do something a little weird that might make you angry, and I don't want you to be angry before you do your picks. So, uh, McMaster, 
is that would you be put on the spot if someone came to you and said, Jason L. McMaster, tell me right now, what is the best spaceship ever? Best? Probably. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, I, I could say spaceships I like. But I, I don't really know what would be the best spaceship. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, do you count the Death Star? That's not really a spaceship. <laughs> mm, that's more of a fully operational battle station. It that's moves true. On, Sorry. It, it did move, though. Brian has a point. It moves yeah, on. that's... I would consider it a very large spaceship. Because, I mean, that's a good one. However, it does have a huge design flaw. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, uh, Jason, Jason Albert Master, I should point out, no spaceship is 100% perfect. That's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, I'll go with the Death Star. All right, that's a, that's a perfectly viable pick. Uh, the judges accept that. Brian, as an authority on the subject, everyone is anxiously awaiting your choice. What do you got for us? See, it's, it's hard because my mind goes to favorite, and then when I try and think best, I come up with a completely different ship. Um, well, I just want to say, by the way, as someone who has danced around this word a lot as a, as a writer writing about video games, to me, best only ever means favorite. Okay, well, if we're going with favorite, it would have to be Serenity from Firefly. Well, sure, that's a great ship, yeah. Oh, that's an awesome. You, you Firefly, what? way to leave me out of the conversation, jerk. <laughs> uh, sure. I'm sorry, let me, let me explain. The ship, I mean, it's got a great design. It's very versatile. It can fly in space and fly around the atmosphere, but it's yeah. got a very hominess to it uh, in the way the inside of it's designed. That it's a ship that if I were to have my own ship that I could live in, that would be the one I would choose to live in. You know, and I've seen the Firefly movie, but I couldn't tell you for the life of me what it looks like. Can one of you describe it for me? Yeah, it's kind of weird looking in a way. It's uh, it's like what it's, it's sort of a S shape in a way. Uh, the back side of it is like a cargo hangar that then goes to an upper area that has like living that's, actually, inco that's actually incorrect I'm sorry to correct you <laughs> McMaster you just got schooled by the, a bay, <laughs> the cargo bay opens frontwards um, right. in the back is they call it a firefly because the back end of it is kind of like the butt end of a firefly it's a glowing spinny um, oh, okay. where the main, en where the main uh, engine is um, but it's kind of got a gooseneck where the cockpit and the uh, the um, crew quarters are. The middle part is the cargo bay and the dining area and where the shuttles connect. And on that side of the shuttles are two large tur jet turbines. So it's capable of interstellar and atmospheric flight. And it's actually called the Firefly? It's, that's yeah, the class. it's the Firefly class, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Does it have its own name? Serenity. Serenity, yeah. Oh, that's, you know, thank you. I, you would think I, even I would know that. I had no idea. Oh, so that's the class of the ship. It's like the, uh, it's like the, uh, actually, what's the Enterprise called? You know, is that a class or is that a name? <laughs> I'm so the, out of my uh, element here. It's <laughs> four different classes, the Enterprise. The first one was the uh, Constitution class. Then it was its own class. Ah, yes, right. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, I knew that somewhere in my head that information was secreted. I just didn't know where to find it. Uh, well, let, let me mention uh, I'm a, a little something different, uh, and I'm very surprised no one picked uh, McMaster, I'm surprised you would pick, for instance, the Death Star over the Millennium Falcon, but fair enough. Uh, the one that, that I go to is a spaceship that I think is one of my favorites because, precisely because, I don't have any idea what it looks like. So, mm. therefore, it, it looks like anything or nothing simultaneously. It's a, it's a weird dilemma, but I'm going to pick... 
the Nostromo from Alien. Because they never really oh, show uh, times nice they kind of yeah. show you the whole thing, but it's just like this big floating thing in space that the crew yeah. sees from the inside, and I like that approach. You know, there's so many cool, sleek spaceships, but I just I could not tell you what the Nostromo looks like to save my life. You uh, know, speaking of that, like Prometheus, huh? That looks pretty cool. Uh, I would know if I watched trailers, but I don't watch trailers. <laughs> I don't know anything. Uh, about oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. No. It, Prometheus. Uh, okay, now here's another one. Uh, this is part two of our round, mm. people. Okay. <laughs> what is the best video game spaceship? A spaceship that only appears in a video game. Uh, and I'll go first with this one. Uh, actually, I hadn't even given it much thought. So I am going to just kind of pick quickly. Uh, you know, there. I wish I knew the name of it. In space, pirates and zombies, which takes which takes such a cue from uh, uh, Star Control Two, which is an mm. early Boys for Bob game that had these really vividly yeah. designed spaceships. There's yeah. some really cool spaceships in Space Pirates and Zombies. And currently, my favorite is I can't even think of the name of it. But later on in the game, you just get this really big. Maybe it's called a cruiser or a space liner. It just looks like a uh, like a cruise ship, a passenger cruise ship, like one of those. Disney oh, inliners, and it just I know looks, that one. And, and you can just fit it out with so many great guns, and it's just big and powerful, and it has a it can hold a lot of crew members, and it's kind of slow, and it doesn't turn very well. But I just love that near the end of the game, that's something that you work your way towards. It's just this big honking, sleek passenger ship of a spaceship. Uh, is, that is currently my favorite. Is that the one that holds a ton of crew? Well, they're the one that holds the most crew. I think is called the big bus, and it looks like a fat, bloated tick. Like it's got a okay. kind of rounded. This That's the one I thought you were talking about. Okay. Yeah, oh. the big bus. This is a tier above the big bus. As you play Space Pirates and Zombies, you unlock I think five different tiers of ships, and the very top tier is just these big, huge, honking, powerful ships. And so this is the equivalent of like a passenger liner, uh, and I think it's called a maybe Star Cruiser. I can't remember the name of it either. I'm I'm totally stumped. Yeah. So I suck for not doing my homework, but that's what I would pick. Uh, McMaster, what would you pick as the best spaceship that only appears in a video game? Well, I, it's kind of tough because, like, first I like the carriers from StarCraft. I think they're cool. Hmm. But if I'm going to have to choose, like, an actual spaceship... Now, real quick, um, the carriers, do you mean the Protoss things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like those a lot. Uh... I would have to probably choose, like, the Wraith from Wing Commander 2. or mm, Nice. Very nice. That's a good ship. Oh, yeah. All right. Mine is also a Wing Commander ship. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the Black Lance Dragon from Wing Commander 4. Oh, yeah. I love Wing Commander. Uh, so, I know. But- so a couple of Chris Roberts fans on this podcast, I see. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> no question. <laughs> I remember seeing the first ad for the fir- magazine ad for the first Wing Commander game and just drooling at it. I just stared at it. I'm like, I have to have this game. I have yeah. to have it. Yep. That's what Back in the me. day, yeah. before, like, uh, you know, every game was voiced and you had to buy a voice pack. Yeah, that was a oh, big you had to have a origin ad lib, ad lib or sound yep. blaster card and ah. oh, oh yes. <laughs> it's kind of sad to me that a lot of people who play video games these days have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I yeah. just have no idea how awesome the ad lib card or sound blaster card the first time you heard <laughs> it. Like how hard, 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think uh, Ultima Seven, the Black Gate, was the one that really got me uh, with uh, with its speech pack having uh, the uh, what was it, the Guardian uh, speaking mm, I, to you and everything I, I, out of the gate itself. Yeah, the, I never played any of the Ultima games, so oh. I can't. Yeah. Those are good. <laughs> well, moving on from best spaceships, Brian Rubin, what would you say is the best car in which to commute to one's job? Honda Fit. Yes! Awesome! I agree. And therefore, McMaster, whatever you pick, you've been voted down. It's (laughs) two votes for the Honda Fit. Go ahead, McMaster. What would your vote, what would you have wasted your vote on? (laughs) Jetpack. (laughs) Oh, rats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who's a smart ass? I got you. (laughs) Well, McMaster, let me ask you this. Does your jetpack have uh, one of those little things where you just plug your iPod into the radio and it plays your MP3s? Uh, you can just wear your iPod. Ah, that's a good point. Well, I don't know about <laughs> Brian's Honda Fit, but my Honda Fit is one of my favorite things about it. You know what? I guess all cars do that these days. Yeah, uh, my truck has that, too. So, Brian, do you ever feel like wh- what it took for me to come to terms with my Honda Fit, which is it's a little bit of a, you know, it's kind of a fat-looking bug of a car, and it's very practical, mm-hmm. but I finally convinced myself and I'm pretty firm, I'm pretty resolute in my belief on this front, that the Honda Fit looks like a moon car. That if we colonize the moon, people will be driving around things that look like Honda Fits, and that makes me feel a lot better about my car. Oh, yeah, no, it totally has that kind of moon buggy look to it. I totally agree. Okay, good, good. Uh, McMaster, for reals, what do you drive around in? Uh, I drive a Dodge Dakota. Nice. Is that a truck? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just like a, a two or yeah, it's like a two door truck with like extended doors behind it. It's, it it has like kind of a small back seat, but nothing comfortable. Um, uh, McMaster, I have to move this weekend. Can you come help me? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be right there. We'll get it airlifted. <laughs> if I start driving now. Okay. Uh, Brian, you mentioned before we started that your favorite TV show just won two uh, People's Choice Awards, I believe. Yes. Uh, what is your favorite TV show? Supernatural. Ah, yeah. Good that's show. A joke. That's a joke. No, you're totally pulling my leg. Nobody's favorite TV show is Supernatural. It's oh. my favorite show. I'm not kidding. It's, it's a McGee joint. I keep telling you, you need to watch it. <laughs> I, don't know. I have been told that, but I can't help but get over it. I keep thinking it's something for tween girls. Is that is that oh, correct? Oh, God, no. No, it's no. no aren't, I, aren't the two, aren't, it's like, it's a couple of, like, good-looking dudes. Like, are, aren't they vampires, by the way? No, they're brothers. brothers. Sure. But no, no. <laughs> you know, oh, name a lot of TV shows that don't have a good-looking dude in them. Mm. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, because, I mean, they... Louis? I got one. Louis, Breaking Bad. Uh, name, name to uh, other TV okay. shows. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold, hold that thought, McMaster. I can do this. I have I have seen my share of TV. Is anyone? I haven't seen it, but is anyone in The Wire good looking? I just started watching that. Coincidentally, are there, are there any good looking dudes? Show. Not yeah, there's, there's maybe one, maybe one. That's okay, so that doesn't apply. Let me come up with another. Okay, here you go, McMaster. Uh, a, uh, a do British TV series count? Oh come on. No. <laughs> Damn, in that case, you got me, McGaster. You're right. Okay, so this supernatural thing, it just won some People's Choice Awards, Brian? Yeah, I, I was just actually reading on Facebook before this whole shindig started 
that uh, it won two People's Choice Awards, one for Best uh, Network TV Drama and one for Best uh, Sci-Fi Fantasy Show. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good. It's a... Uh... You know, I haven't watched it since uh, what's his name died in the la- end of the last season or that one season. I I, I'm detecting a spoiler here. No, no. I mean, I actually meant one of the guys that worked on the show, the producer. Oh, oh. It was like there was a they were going to do a final season, and then like at the last minute they kind of changed their mind. Uh, I, it was like a couple years ago, but I haven't really watched it since then. But I really like it up to that point. That's like season five, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So just as on this podcast, two out of three people endorse the Honda Fit, also on this podcast, two out of three people endorse Supernatural, correct? Absolutely. And it should be coming to Netflix streaming soon. Uh, yeah, you know, they've started putting uh, newer episodes on uh, Hulu as well. So that's Okay. Cool. Right. Now, Brian Rubin, when you say it's your favorite TV show, you're just being facetious. You really like something like The Wire or Sherlock Holmes or whatever better, right? You don't really, no. mean, you don't literally mean your favorite TV show. I have a tattoo from the show. I don't believe that. I totally don't believe that. I, I do. I do. Yeah, it was my, it was my it, yeah the, the 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 two characters, the two main characters, have a tattoo to protect them from being possessed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I have that same tattoo. Well, Brian, let me ask you, since you got it, have you been possessed? No. In that case, it, I, I, it sounds like you, you made the right choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems to be working just fine. <laughs> Brian, Brian, am I going to regret asking you where the tattoo is? On my chest. Okay. <laughs> I don't regret that, then. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so, again, uh, while we're tallying stats on this podcast, two out of three people on this podcast have <laughs> tattoos. That's true. Not me. No, McMaster, you don't have to give it away. You can let people imagine. <laughs> oh, no, no, this is one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, I'll, I'll let it go. I'll no, unfortunately, I would love to get into it, but we've got to move on to the next subject, <laughs> which is the fact that Brian mm-hmm. Rubin, who lives in Los Angeles, like me, is an import. Brian, you moved here from Philadelphia 11 years ago. Yep. What on earth would you do that for? Because I've known people from Philadelphia, and they speak very highly of it. I actually don't really like Philadelphia. I mean, I don't. Ouch. I don't hate it, mm-hmm. but it's very. To me, it's very boring. And um, when I came out here for the first time in 1999 to go to my first E3, I walked out of LAX and said, "I want to live here." And yeah, a, year, a, a year later, I got a job here. So I've I've been here ever since, and I absolutely love it here. I love Los Angeles. Do you feel homesick when you see M. Night Shyamalan movies? I've only seen two M. Night Shyamalan movies, and no, I don't. Okay, I think you've made the right choice on that, as well as, like, with your tattoo. You're, you're it depends doing... on, the, on the two, actually. But, yeah. Well, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, those are the only two. Okay, well, I mean, those are the two, sure. Brian, yeah, you got out, you've gotten out easy, Brian. <laughs> Consider yourself fortunate. Yeah, uh, Unbreakable's a good movie. Oh, I love that movie. It's one of the best oh, superhero yeah. movies ever made. I think. I uh, I'm gonna. You guys are gonna say easy things like Unbreakable is a good movie. I don't think that's that controversial. Lots of people say that, so I'm gonna lay down some serious controversy right now. You're gonna hear it here. Here we go. All I right. think that the script for The Happening is not awful. <laughs> I I couldn't answer that. Oh, is that that really stupid plant one? Is that what that was? That's the way that some people describe it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mark, yeah. Yeah. The Mark Wahlberg one. Right? The Mark Wahlberg one and the big yeah. reveal. Again, I apologize if I'm spoil. I, I don't. There's certain movies that are so bad you can't really spoil them, and I think The Happening <laughs> is one of those. Yeah. But I think there's some really cool ideas in The Happening that could work in a better movie. 
So I'll just throw that out there. Uh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, there's this. Uh, that that's funny. Uh, there's this South Park uh, thing, Imagination Land. It's like a three part episode where uh, our imagination gets attacked by terrorists, and uh, <laughs> they no one no one can come up with anything. So they bring in M Night to uh, help them with his uh, imagination, and he keeps saying stuff like, "What if we're the terrorists?" And you know, and stuff like, of course, over and over. And they're like, "That's not." That's not an idea. That's just kind of a twist, you know. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. That, and of course, they bring like Michael Bay, and he's like, you know, explosions and bus crashes. And, uh, yeah. My my good friend Kelly Wand, with whom I do a movie podcast, has pointed out, uh, and I love this observation that the title of the happening could be applied to literally any movie. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, and it's a Pixie song. Oh, you're right. That Area 51 one. Yeah. So, oh, they got a ranch they call. Very good, McMaster. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, at least two out of three people on this podcast endorse the Pixies. By the way, uh, Ruben, can you make it a, a three a threefecta for a Pixies I'm, endorsement? I'm sorry. I may have heard maybe three of their songs. All right. That's fine. I'm, I'm sure that that's we will. That's close enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll accept that. Uh, McMaster, let's talk some video games. What format are we going to use for folks on uh, this podcast today? Well, let's start with our post of the week. Mm, okay, I like that. Who's going first? Uh, let's say Brian. Oh, pressure. God, no. Um, yes. <laughs> I picked a post because mo- I spend most of my time on quarter to three. I mean, I go to a couple other forums, but most of my time is in quarter to three. So I picked a... A thread, if I may, that I just find awesome. Mm -hmm. It's titled Directors Who Fell Up From High, and it's by D.K. D'Artagnan. And it's kind of like a three-by-three thing. Um, He wants to list a couple of directors who started great and did a few great movies and then went to crap. And one of his picks was James Cameron. Mm -hmm. And under quality, he puts uh, Terminator and Aliens, and under shit, he puts Terminator 2, parentheses, yes, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I'm with him. I'm with him as well. Two out of three people on this podcast don't wow. like Terminator 2. Ruben, what are you going to do? Are you going to make it a, a unanimous decision? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, so. I can't. I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was a fun action movie. But the, the great thing about this thread, as, as people are talking about other directors, there's this kind of larger conversation going on about the whole meta thing behind the time travel and the paradoxes and the characters of Terminator 2 that just last for several pages. And it's amazing. And it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing the back and forth. And it's just so entertaining how one post will talk about M. Night Shyamalan and one post will talk about Francis Ford Copeland and three more posts will go back to Terminator and how humans make John Connor and why the first Terminator is better than the second and how um, James Cameron was too busy worrying about his reputation and about pushing the envelope than about making a good movie. And it just goes on and on from there. And it's just been fabulously entertaining. Uh, Terminator has some pretty rich mythology to talk about. Like, uh, maybe not like Star Wars, Star Trek level, but it's kind of one of those geek magnet subjects, which I certainly can respond to. And yeah. I, I think a lot of people on the forum can as well. Uh, now, now, Brian, in, in terms of the substance of the actual thread, did anyone come to mind for you as far as uh, – now, how did you put it, directors that have fallen from on high? 
Yes. Yeah, I, I got one. All right, hold that, <laughs> sorry, hold that thought, McGuffin. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Now, um, out of all the posts I've read in this thread, um, I believe his name is Hugin? Yeah. I don't know how to say his name. Let me try I and think it's Hugin. No. Okay, I'm going to say Hugin. He had an amazing post about uh, Sarah Connor that just <laughs> blew me away. It really did. And um, would you like me to read a little bit of it to you? Oh, sure, yes. Give us, give us <laughs> no. <a> yes, no. Yes, <laughs> no. He said, I'm amazed at how much discussion you people can have about T2 while managing to almost entirely not mention Sarah Connor at all. Because the T2 Sarah Connor story is a wall-to-wall, dark-fucked-up, is wall-to-wall, dark-fucked-up shit. Here's a woman who was having her regular life, then an implacable killing machine rips it apart. Kills her roommate, kills her mother, Daniel kills her. She gets pregnant with this guy, and then the guy immediately dies. She's got a story that lands her in the Louis bin. She loses custody of her child, who hates her. She's fairly obviously being abused in the Looney bin. She undergoes a radical transformation physically and emotionally. She's saddled with the minor job of successfully raising a kid so that he can, you know, save the human race. She's burdened with the knowledge of an impending holocaust she knows she can't stop. She stages an assault on the home of an inoffensive scientist guy for a crime he doesn't even know he's going to commit. God, it just goes on and on with her. And... I never thought about Terminator 2 that deeply, but goddamn if he isn't right. Well, and I would I would extend yes. that a little further too to say that one of Cameron's contributions, and uh, I think part of the credit goes to Gail Ann Hurd and Catherine Bigelow from that same school, is uh, is is giving us strong female characters in our mm. 80s action movies. And you mm. think of, you know, he's done this at times more successfully than others, certainly Aliens and Terminator yeah. are the big successes, yeah. but you yeah. can see some of that as well in Titanic, Avatar, True Lies. I mean, whatever Cameron's foibles were, that that was obviously something, that was an important theme for him, and I, I, think, uh, I think movies are deeply indebted to him for that. Tom, as a aside, this is why you should watch Firefly, eventually, because it has strong female characters. What? I thought it's just Nathan Fillion cracking wise. Uh, well, Nathan he, Fillion is good at cracking wise, though. I, I don't see the problem here. <laughs> no, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with all of that, but it has very strong female characters. Well, but, like I said, I did, I mean, and that's certainly one of Joss Whedon's deals as well. Like, you, yeah, you look at certainly think? Buffy. <laughs> but I, I certainly remember seeing that uh, Serenity movie and the, the chick who went on to be in the Terminator TV show Summer Glau is that her name? Yes. Summer Doesn't Glau. she have some awesome fight scene in Serenity? Yes. Yeah. 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 Couple yeah. actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you know what? I, I you know whatever problems you might have with James Cameron, I feel that without Cameron, we might not have a Joss Whedon. You know. You might be uh, right. So. Uh, so. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I didn't like Titanic or Avatar, but I did like a lot of the no, stuff he's done. Either. Right, and I, I wasn't. I definitely don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm endorsing those. But you can clearly see his his that sort of through line of wanting to have strong heroines anchoring his movies uh, oh, in yeah. both Titanic and Avatar. Uh, but more to the point, though, of directors who've fallen down, McMaster. I I bet I know who you're thinking of, but hold that thought. <laughs> uh, Brian, does anyone come to mind for you? One of my favorite directors is Ridley Scott. I, I love a lot of his films. Yeah, and that's a good one here. And the last movie that I saw of him that I liked was Black Hawk Down. I love that movie. Yeah, and I also, I also liked um, Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut. Um, but I didn't like Gladiator, and some, I, I've seen bits of some of the movies he's done since, and they just didn't look that great. Come on, you didn't, you didn't like Robin Hood with Russell Crowe? 
Oh, God. It was... Uh, it was horrible. Don't, it was, yeah. Don't try to mince uh, words, Brian. I was trying to be nice, yeah. but yeah, it is bad. It I is certainly... Bad. I didn't like Kingdom of Heaven either, but I didn't see the director's cut, so... Uh, and Ridley Scott is a classic example. You look at... I, I mean, even going as far back as The Duelist, uh, his really early movie, and certainly Alien uh, and Blade Runner. I mean, that guy was like a seminal director. And, oh, yeah. and we get Robin Hood now. And uh, All right, McMaster, well, who... Go ahead. I'm looking forward to Prometheus. I mean, that, that it looks pretty cool, and you know, it's Ridley Scott and the Vena Aliens, and he always wanted to do the the space jock stories and stuff. So, uh, a movie came out this Christmas called uh, The Darkest Hour, uh, and it's an alien invasion movie, and it is wretched. It is almost <laughs> without the script is asinine, <laughs> and the writer of The Darkest Hour is also the writer of Prometheus. Oh, that's awful. So Uh-oh. maybe you should compare your expectations a little. I don't know. I don't know. But that, that definitely colored my looking forward to Prometheus after having seen The Darkest Hour. Uh, like, but no, I, I'll tell you, yeah, the director I would pick is Tim Burton. Oh, I thought you were going to just go for the easy uh, George Lucas thing. Oh, no, Lucas is a joke. I don't even want to pick. I mean, come on. Like, the guy directed, like, a few really good movies, or, like, movies that I, at least I enjoy. Like, you know, I liked... Uh, American Graffiti, you know, mm. I, I liked... You uh, like Howard the Duck, I know you... Are I'm a huge, one. I hate Howard the Duck. Is I think that's of, where he lost his mind. I think that's where... I, I think uh, that was the breaking uh, point. Man, he was on The Daily Show the other night, and it's just like, this guy. He was on there promoting that Red Tails movie that's coming out. Of I had oh, to right. turn that interview off. After he said that was like oh. the first movie of its kind, I had to turn it off. Oh, he's he's ridiculous. But like the fact that there's like a TV trailer for it that has dubstep in it, and it's like a World War Two uh, fighter movie about the Tuskegee Airmen. I mean, come on. Uh, but no, like with uh, with Tim Burton, to me, man, you know, you go from what Edward Scissorhands, uh, Beetlejuice, uh, just like these great movies to Planet of the Apes, which is god awful, and basically everything he's made since. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, that what I've is seen. what is his last movie? I know, I know, a big fish. I'm surely he's done something since then. Uh, oh, Sleepy Hollow. Was, yeah, I, yeah, Sleepy Hollow was like okay. Big That's fish right. Oh no, you're you're absolutely right, McMaster. You had it. Say that again. Corpse Bride. Uh, no? Yeah, there was Corpse Bride. There's Alice. Alice. There was, Alice was yeah, his that last was, thing. That was terrible. I, that was oh my god! I started watching that on a plane, and I turned <laughs> it off. It was oh my god. Oh. I paid mine to see the 3D version of it, and I felt so ripped off. You and me both, Brian. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't see. I haven't seen any of the 3D movies, and I'm relatively glad because uh, Avatar would have made me angry as it did when I watched it in 2D. Now, yeah. McMaster, do they get 3D movies out there in Iowa? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> uh, sometimes we just have a guy dressed up as the actors, and he runs at you real fast. It's scary. <laughs> So in regards to this uh, this post that Brian brought up, I want to take a slightly different angle uh, in, in mentioning it. Uh, I love the concept, but for me, what I think is more notable are directors on high who don't plummet. Because I, I genuinely feel that a lot of good directors get swallowed up by the studio system. They are surrounded by yes-men, and the things that happen where these early auteurs like Spielberg or Lucas or the Wachowski brothers or even James Cameron, they end up uh, being victims of the system. And, you, you know, the system is about 
putting out product that gets a maximum return on their investment. And a lot of times, these really artistically talented people just get chewed up by that. So to me, the more notable conversation are the directors on high that stay up there. And I think of people like the Coen Brothers or P.T. Anderson. Coen, yeah. Amazing. Uh, and, and those are, are the ones that I think are the exception to the rule. Um, and you the know, interesting conversations in, uh, in a way. Uh, who I'd have to go with, of course. I mean, Kubrick. I mean, but whatever. And uh, Gilliam. But Gilliam's actually not had like a couple of bad ones. Too. But, but Gilliam's a good example in that he's never been, in a, in, in a way, he's been spit out by the studio system <laughs> before yeah. it really had a chance to, to digest him. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, they didn't fence him in. We'll put that's, a, that's a very, I think that's a very good point. Uh, he's sure he's my favorite living director, other than maybe the Coens. I mean, like, he's just God, 12 Monkeys, uh, I mean, Time Bandits. Brazil's yes. one of my favorite movies, hands down. I mean, but as it. someone who ends up like, like, I see a lot of movies <laughs> And, and I end up discovering these new directors like like Andrew Dominic, who did Assassination of Jesse James, or this fellow from Sweden, Thomas Alfredson, who did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Let the Right. I want to see that. And oh, I do God. too. I want to see I, that too. And I love finding these guys, but in a way, I, I kind of dread the fact that, you know, are they going to retain that sense mm-hmm. of creativity or are they just going to get swallowed by the studio Wait, system? So that guy did uh, Let the Right One In. Thomas Alfredson, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome movie! Oh my god, is that that vampire movie? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a Swedish movie, and then Matt Reeves, the fellow who did that, uh, who did Cloverfield, uh, he hmm. did a remake of it called Let, Let Me, Me in. in. Yeah, well, that little girl from uh, Kickass, Chloe Moritz, yes, who yeah. was also in Hugo. Yeah, so I have not seen Hugo. All right. So, Brian, congratulations. Uh, I love getting in a little movie talk. Uh, great work stealthing that in. Oh, sure. <laughs> McMaster, who is up next for Post of the Week? Uh, you know what? I'll go. Awesome. Um, my Post of the Week is uh, something I really want to talk about, and that is XCOM Enemy Unknown, which was uh, is has been revealed as the new cover of Game Informer, which is a... Firaxis's take on uh, is it Firaxis? Uh, anyway, Firaxis. I'm just assuming it's Firaxis. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Uh, I'm sorry, it's just kind of spelled bizarrely. Uh, anyway, Firaxis's take on XCOM, and uh, this is very exciting to me because I really don't like the look of the XCOM shooter. It looks really kind of oh. hokey to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I do love me some XCOM though. So, if uh, you know, if this turns out to be any like even remotely capturing any of the magic of the original XComs, I'm I'm there. Okay, first of all, McMaster, you are a jerk because you stole my news of the week. Yes. Second of all, <laughs> uh, actually, I don't have a second of all. I just wanted Good. to say first of all. But I do want to say so. Th- th- this was my news of the week, and here's what I have to say about that. Um. I'm, a, of course, a huge fan of strategy games. I love my turn-based strategy. I, I think all of us are in that generation that really dug XCOM. Yeah. I have some serious reservations, and it all comes down to, I would like to walk you guys back through the last few games that Firaxis has made. Um, all right. I mean, so, I'm, I'm just excited. 
Well, you know what? I'm, I'm excited as well. Destroy it, Destroy it Tom. Come. <laughs> well, part of part of my thinking too is that there are plenty of other games these days, like tackle RPGs and such, that can recapture what made XCOM good. Now, there aren't any uh, complete packages. There are a few key elements that a lot of these kinds of games don't have. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, but I don't really feel like there is necessarily an XCOM-shaped hole in my gameplay experiences. Uh, um, so here, here's I do want to say, though, the last few games that Firaxis has done, and I think they've been bleeding talent, as much as I hate to say that, uh, and it shows in the last few games they've done. Civilization V, I completely understand people liking that, but I personally feel there were some really clunky design decisions there, and it really suffers from they made a design without a sufficient AI to underpin that design and make it a really good single-player game. So I'm concerned about that with Civilization V. If you go back a little bit more, they did Civilization Revolutions, which had some really cool design ideas, some sort of tweaks yeah. on the Civilization formula. But again, the AI can't play it, so you're ended up, you ended up with this kind of cute little puzzle game. Um, go back a little farther. Uh, before then, Sid Meier's Railroads. Mm. Well, sure. And I tried to play that. I, I, I didn't like it when it came out. I tried to play it again earlier this year. Or last, what year is it? Yeah, last year I tried to play it, like back in the spring or something. Uh, me and Bruce Garrick were maybe thinking of doing a game diary kind of thing about it. And we both fired it up and we patched it. And when you first start pushing around the trains and setting up your tracks and stuff, it's kind of cute. But it, it completely falls apart. That There's no overarching game design that, that seems to be at work there. So I'm, I'm concerned that the team that gave us brilliant things like Soren Johnson's Civilization IV, like Sid Meier's reboot of Pirates, I'm concerned that, that as, a, as a developer, Firaxis had lost a lot of that magic or whatever it is. Uh, so, McMaster, I'm happy to have a turn-based XCOM, but I'm, I'm a little worried at what Firaxis is going to do to, to what, what shortcuts that might be made, what shortcomings it might have when they actually bring us one. I'm just concerned. Oh, sure. No, that's completely understandable. Um, I just like uh, seeing that shooter, though. It's just kind of like, yikes. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, nothing nothing personal, 2K, uh, Marin, or whatever, but uh, come on. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a fair point, and I wonder, too, how much of this uh, announcement is to deal with reactions like yours, McMaster, uh, like from people saying, this shooter looks terrible, XCOM should be a turn-based game, they don't get what makes XCOM XCOM, so after the bad reaction the last couple of E3s, they put for access on this, uh, this new XCOM license. This makes sense. So, McMaster, when can we play XCOM? Uh, I, I think next week, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Actually, you can play the real XCOM right now. Uh, sure, why not? Yeah. Uh, is it on good old games yet? It seems like everything else no, is. No, it's on Steam. Yeah. And, uh, oh, there you go. Oh, is it? Oh, nice. <laughs> That's hmm. release. Brian Rubin, does it have achievements? I don't know. <laughs> wait, wait, Steamies. Steamies. Steamies, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've not heard that. Oh yeah, no, that's the term I'm trying to get popularized. For this <laughs> so, so XCOM. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. No, I was going to say this is your post, Jason. Yes, yes. My post of the week would be the XCOM reveal. Um, the reason I said Fire Access is I believe it was uh, misspelled by our good friend Forge for a second. <laughs> so I blame him. 
Well, and also, uh, all that we know is that it's announced. I don't think the cover story, uh, of course, it's the announcement is because they got Game Informer to do a cover story for them. Okay. There will be more information in that cover story, but I don't think that issue is shipped yet. I could be wrong, but we'll, we'll know no, more no. soon. It's like they do a reveal of their cover, and uh, yeah, yeah, people have been waiting for that episode three reveal for about ever now. So. <laughs> All right. So, McMaster, who is next for post of the week? Well, there's only one left, and then there was one. <laughs> Sweet. I have survived to bring you this post of the week. Uh, this was linked by a fellow named Mysterio. He uh, links to Brad Wardell's post on the uh, Stardock forums, and Brad Wardell mentions that next week folks can play the beta for... Uh, I'm going to screw it up. Fallen Prince, Fallen Enchantress. There's no princess involved. Woo! Keep on saying Fallen Princess. Fallen Enchantress, which is Woo! Derek Paxton's sort of re-engineering of Elemental, uh, a game that Stardock somewhat famously released to uh, <laughs> less than happy players. Uh, oh, so they, few, yeah. yeah, so they kind of pulled back. They re they retrenched. They hired Derek Paxton, whose Civ 4 mod Fall from Heaven is nothing short of brilliant. Uh, I know John Schaefer, formerly of Firaxis, by the way, uh, he's been working on it. Uh, and from all, from everything that I know, it sounds like Stardock has just said to Derek Paxton, this is yours, do what you need to, we will support you. And considering how, what a great job he did with that Civ 4 mod, I'm really psyched for this. So, starting next week, if you own uh, Elemental, you can jump into the beta. Actually, I think there's a weird thing. If you pre-ordered Elemental, you can jump into the beta next week. If you own Elemental, it's going to be two weeks from now. That's uh, kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, have you played that Warlock game yet? Uh, I have not, but it just brings to mind that there are some really cool strategy games on the way. And that yeah. uh, it's called Warlock Master of the Arcane. I think Paradox is publishing it. That looks like a fantasy-based yeah. civilization game. Uh, yeah, uh, I have it. I just haven't played it yet. I want to. I was just wondering. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I haven't touched it either. Well, now it's a preview build. That's not due out until Q2, so that'll be out uh, later this year. Um, but that, yeah, that's like. You know, a turn Master of the Arcane, yeah. Yeah, Warlock, Master of the Arcane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, That and King Arthur, too, are the two I keep meaning to mess with. Well, there's uh, also, you know, there's uh, if you're into historical stuff, Crusader Kings 2 is coming out. There's a great expansion coming out for Victoria 2. Uh, there's this tower defense game that I'm looking forward to called Oil Rush, which is based on, like, defending oil platforms and naval combat. That uh, <laughs> Defenders of Ardania tower defense RTS is due out soon. Uh, I know Paradox also has a new kind of a harpoon game out called, I think, Arctic Circle. Uh, yeah. there's, there's that Call of Cthulhu XCOM kind of game for the iPhone coming out this month. Um, there's, a, a there's a bunch of good strategy games coming out, and I, I think being able to to bang around on the elemental beta is is part of the good news for strategy gamers like us. Brian, you sounded uh, particularly excited. We got a couple of bona fide woo-hoos oh. from you. Oh, yeah, I lost you for a second. Oh, I, I'm excited because I love fantasy strategy games, strategy games in general. And uh, I pre-ordered Elemental, sadly. Um, and I haven't pre-ordered a game since. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to try this new one. It looks really interesting. Now, let me ask both of you, because you both mentioned that you have access to the, the Warlock uh, beta. The Elemental beta will be out soon. 
I personally kind of hate playing betas because I feel like yeah. I almost want to wait for the real thing mm-hmm. to come out. Are you guys okay with jumping into betas? It, it depends. Like, uh, you know, if you're talking to something like, you know, a console release, like a debug, I don't mind it because it's fine. But, yeah, a lot of games, it just kind of depends. Like, sometimes I get so excited about it, I want to see what it's about, and then I'm horribly disappointed. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just, I, I can't resist. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm the same way, especially if, again, the game has spaceships. Like, I was in the beta for Spaz, and I was, I'm, I'm in a couple other spacey betas, like Starfarer and, uh, and Space Miner 2041, I think it's called, and a couple others. So, if a game has a spaceship, I will jump on the beta. Absolutely. Now, Brian, I don't know if you know this, I don't think there are spaceships in Elemental. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I still love fantasy strategy games, so yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be great, but no. Yeah, I need I, to add that. <laughs> All right, so those are our posts of the week. Uh, Brian's thread on uh, the thread that Brian mentioned on directors who have fallen. Uh, McMaster, uh, the news of XCOM, and me, Scoop. the uh, upcoming <laughs> Elemental. Yeah, so that means so McMaster. Scoops. When we yeah. move to news of the week, you can just skip me because somebody right. somebody stole mine. So. I actually picked two news pieces of the week uh, in case you need one just in case someone skunked mine. So. You know what? Well, then my backup is going to be Brian Rubin's other news of the week. So I'm going to cede my slot to Brian Rubin for news of the week. <laughs> so, uh, All right. Well, I'll go ahead and get mine out of the way then. Um, there's a little company called Riot Games, and uh, they have this product called League of Legends that I'm kind of <laughs> fond of. And, um, I've heard you mention it a couple of times. Once yeah, or twice. Maybe. Talked about it. Um, they uh, have come out against the Stop Online Piracy Act, uh, joining nice. the chorus of people that do not want that to happen, including Epic and Microsoft. Um, which, if you don't know the Stop Online Piracy Act, it has some nice ideas behind it, but what it comes down to is overall censorship. Um, if a website is found to have copyright infringing material which under this could be anything from you know i mean actual copyright infringement to stuff of just like maybe fan art uh videos of someone playing a game you know talking about certain you know game aspects that kind of thing or or like on youtube and basically all of youtube but um (laughs) what it would do is uh if someone filed a complaint against that, then the attorney general could go to the ad networks, the um, pay networks, such as PayPal, etc., and uh, internet service providers and have them remove the internet records for uh, these websites, thus pretty much destroying all of their um, uh, revenue. Uh, McMaster, this podcast opened with a little Sinatra. We could be shut down by the stop online piracy. Absolutely, we would. Uh, yeah. We would quite uh, possibly be. <laughs> so your buddies at Riot Games, uh, they're on the right side of the issue. Do we know, for instance, is there anyone who's on the what we would consider the wrong side of the issue? Are there any publishers supporting SOPA or SOPA or whatever you want to call well, it? Well, see, now that's where it gets interesting <laughs> <laughs> because SOPA is wholeheartedly endorsed by the ESA, which a lot of these, not Riot, might I add. Uh, a lot of these companies that are coming out against it are a member of. So on one side, they're saying, yes, we don't support it, but we're part of a community uh, that does support it. Right. So it's kind of a 
interesting position. It's like for most well, the reason I, one of the reasons I wanted to mention Riot is because they're not part of the ESA, which kind of sets them apart from say Epic or Microsoft, which can come out and go, yes, yes, we hate the idea of it, but of course they're supporting it by being part of one of the major pushers for it. So now, it's kind of like if it goes through, they're like hedging their bets. Well, right. we were against it, you know, that's terrible, you know. <laughs> well, the ESA, by the way, as a sort of, I don't know what you call them, an advocacy group, a, uh, a co, I don't, I don't know what you call them, but they definitely, that's their job, kind of, I think, is to support this kind of crazy stuff, even if it's to the detriment of creativity. Like the ESA, they're a lobbying group. Isn't they? Yeah. How, oh, yeah, they basically are, yeah. So that that's they're they're doing their job. Uh, even if I'm going to hereby raise my middle finger to them, I kind of understand why they're doing it. Uh, sure. And I'm sorry that the listeners had to see that me flipping the bird to the ESA. I apologize. That was crass, and uh, please accept my apologies. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if uh, and to that anybody uh, write your congressman uh, because these uh, when the winter breaks over, they will continue uh, arguing the case for uh, stop online piracy act. I already have. Good. And, uh, yeah, but uh, listeners out there in Radioland, please uh, <laughs> write to your congressman because this is some serious, uh, like, freedom of speech uh, infringement. Absolutely. All right, so, uh, McMaster, a little serious news. Uh, who's next? Maybe they can lighten the mood. Yes. Uh, how about uh, Tom, who goes then directly to Brian? <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, have you guys heard there's a turn-based XCOM coming? All right. What? There's my news of the week. Over to you, Brian. If, if, I, if I had you on IM, I would send you a link to one of these so you can do it yourself. But I'll, I'll just spit it out. Uh, the first one I thought was interesting was a little piece on Gamma Sutra entitled, PlayStation 2 is still, is still selling 10 years later. And huh. ap- apparently at the tail end of 2011, uh, there were 500,000 PlayStation 2 units so- sold worldwide. Just as much as the newly launched uh, Vita. Ouch! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, and I find I find that interesting because I've never owned a PlayStation 2. I jumped pretty much from the Atari 2600 to the Dreamcast to the PlayStation 3. So mm. I missed a whole hell of a lot of gaming, and I've been kind of interested in buying one for myself. Um, oh, do you have an older PS3 or something? One of the non-backwards? Sadly, no. I have a Slim, and I can't do that backwards. Oh, that's stuff. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was a huge problem. I mean, that that's a ridiculous problem for them. I, I don't understand why they would have done that. Because the PS2s are still selling, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's one reason. Brian, do, are there figures about where they're selling? Uh, it, apparently, it's... Uh, it says uh, robust sales, especially in emerging count- countries and regions such as Eastern Europe, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and South America. I am not the yeah, least bit. That's that's exactly what I suspected. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, like where where there may not be a lot of uh, HDTV sets, and uh, that makes sense. Is yeah. that is that yeah, the, those kind of markets? There's still a demand for uh, what well, we would think of as a low end system. Yeah. Well, it's not like there's a like a lack of a library there either. You know, I mean, it's uh, for a third world country that would have to be just like an awesome discovery. Right. Yeah, that's kind of why I want one is the library. Uh, sure. The, the only reason, uh, and you guys don't tell anyone this because I'd hate All this right. to get out. The only reason I still have my PS2 hooked up in my living room, uh, DDR. Yeah, see, that was a big problem, is all those dance mats, they, they had that proprietary controller and all. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've still got it hooked up there, and I haven't I haven't touched a DDR in months. But if I ever wanted to, I could. Yeah. You're lucky. I love DDR, so you're very lucky. <laughs> you know what? All, both of you come over. We'll have a DDR party tonight. All right. <laughs> Actually, here you go. Which one of us would be best at DDR? Because I gotta say, I'm I'm a, I I look awful doing it. I I I don't have very good rhythm will, for the I most part. I'm pretty good at DDR. I have to say, I'm not. Sarah's okay. Yeah, she's well. Player. She's a girl. Girls rock at DDR. Girls yes, have the innate ability to not only be good at DDR, but, but to actually look graceful when they're doing it. It's just part mm-hmm. of being a girl. Yeah. Brian Rubin, can you DDR very well? I I for like. The, for the middle of the 2000s, I played DDR maybe three or four years straight, and I got pretty good. And then I just Ooh. stopped for some reason. But now I kind of had a gimpy leg, so I don't think I'd be able to do it very well. Okay, at first when you said that about playing straight, I was intimidated. But now that I know you're like a, a wounded war horse put out to pasture, I don't yeah. feel as intimidated. No, you shouldn't. I'd, okay. I'd be insanely rusty, plus have an actual handicap. So. In that case, good. I, I, think I, could, <laughs> I think I could take both of you in a DDR dance-off. So. You probably yeah. could. I probably could. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's one news story of the week. Brian, what's your backup that I now am going to steal? I, or actually, was that one for me, or is this next one for me? That was the one I was going to give you, because this Sweet. one is more spaceship game-oriented. All right, so uh, my, my news of the week, ps is still selling in uh, Egypt and Southeast Asia. Brian, what's your news of the week? Over to you. Um, the folks at Soulback Entertainment who made ah. the Amazing Din's Curse, and I love that game to death. They're making a space game called Drox Operative. Have you guys heard of this? I hate no. that. You know, if there's one thing that I love about Soldak, it's that they name their games things that I hate. <laughs> yeah. Terrible name, I know. But the idea of the game is amazing. Um, do you guys know of it at all, or should I explain? Oh, no. I mean, I know of it, but explain. Tell the listeners, what is this awesome oh, okay. sci-fi game coming up? It's, yeah. it's kind of like... A 4X game where you have these empires and they're competing for resources and colonizing planets and and fighting amongst each other, but you're not playing any of them. You're playing a mercenary spaceship captain who deals with them and does missions for them and quests for them and and that sort of thing. And you have to deal with all these races. It's kind of like a giant space RPG where you play as a spaceship and the traits of your spaceship are made up by your crew and your equipment and the ship itself. So... Hmm. I'm just giddy about I, – I, every time Stephen Peeler posts something on quarter to three, I ask him when I can send my money to him, um, but he hasn't replied. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he will let you know. I mean, you will, yes. he will <laughs> gladly take money from you when he is ready. As soon as that pre-order button comes on the site, I'm, I'm clicking. I'm there as, as soon as it's up. Now, but – Brian, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Din's Curse, which I think a lot of folks know and love. It's a great action RPG. But did you happen to play? Uh, and I'm going to screw the name up. Is it Depths of Peril? Depths of Peril. I did play that. It didn't really click with me. I think a larger meta game kind of overwhelmed me. Well, I just want to say I think a, a little bit of what he's going for with Drox Operative Initiative. What is it again? Drox Operative. Yeah, with, with Drox Operative, is, uh, there, there was some of that same idea in Depths of Peril where there were different factions or clans, and you would go out and adventure and you could deal with them maybe. So there was a little bit of that in Depths of Peril, this idea of you could work with or for or against different factions. There's kind of a diplomacy faction system there. Right. Uh, and it seems uh, like Drox Operative will be playing on that level more than the, the Din's Curse level of gameplay. And, I, and I'm hoping if it does, it keeps it as focused as possible, because, again, I was a bit overwhelmed by that, uh, the meta level of Depths mm-hmm. of Peril. Mm-hmm. But Din's Curse, I played the hell out of. So is Din's Curse like Diablo or something, or played it? Din's Curse is a Diablo, 
uh, clone in a way. It has some important differences, but the single most important difference is that the dungeons basically like percolate and they can spill over and they they uh, dynamically create quests and bosses oh. emerge and factions fight each oh. other. And even if it gets if it gets bad enough, they can bubble up out of the dungeons and attack your town. It's this uh, the way that I'd written about it is it's a Diablo game where the dungeons actually push back at you because normally when you play Diablo, the dungeon just sits there and waits for you to. It's a static. So these yeah. things like stuff will actually come out of the dungeons oh, yeah. as you oh, play yeah. the game. As you play, it just it one of the huge. Th- I'm sorry, Brian. Go ahead. No, it'll attack. They'll attack your town. Sorry to jump in. Like if you have a quest to kill this bad guy on level seven, and you don't do it in time, he might gain a level himself or something and create a bigger army. And if you don't take care of him, his minions and eventually him might attack the town and kill your kill your merchant or kill one of the quest givers, you know, and that sort of thing. And then you have to do several quests to get another uh, merchant back into the town to make it safe again. You know, that sort of thing. That sounds and, pretty rad. And it's sort of made part of the risk-reward calculation when you're playing is how far away do you want to get from the nearest portal back to town because something might happen back there and you need to get back and save someone. Mm-hmm. Or if, if like, an, an invisible monster is running around killing people, do you hurry back or do you push forward a little bit and try to find a portal in front of you? Uh, it's just a, it was a... It was it was constantly there was just constant drama and important decisions and things happening and it just felt alive. Uh, it was a, it was a beautiful design uh, and yeah. So the fact that this guy is now doing a a sci-fi 4x RPG, I'm just elated about that. Like like Brian, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, so giddy. Yeah. All right. So, so this, I see it's like co-op. Uh, how how many players? You can. We've played it here at Shoot Club. Uh, it's not necessary. There's not a lot to really encourage, like overlapping skills and whatnot. It's basically just the game happens to have network support, so you can basically have multiple people playing at the same time. And every time we've tried it, folks just go off and do their own thing. Uh, I imagine if you bumped up the difficulty level, it might force people to stick together. Uh, but sure. it's definitely not a game built to be played cooperatively in the same way as as like an MMO might be, or another kind of an RPG might be. Oh, I'm yeah. gonna have to play this uh, Dense Paris oh, game. Yeah, it's so fabulous. It's yeah. utterly it's, fabulous. So it's still still viable. It's not like old and terrible at this point. No, no, no. He he um, he did an expansion pack for it last year that added a new class and that added a whole bunch of new mechanics for the way the citizens in the town interact with each other. Basically, sort of an economy and a social model. And uh, no, he's Stephen Peeler is fantastic about supporting his work. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. No, I'll try that. All right, Brian. Go the graphics aren't the greatest, but once you get past that, there is a fabulous game underneath that. Yeah. All right. So, McMaster, where does that leave us? We've done posts of the week and news of the week. I, I guess, are we done now? Yeah, I guess we can go home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, games. Games. Aha. They, they, I was thinking, uh, we call this uh, the Jason and Tom something. <laughs> A games podcast, that's what it is. Okay, um, so, you know what, uh, I, I'm i going to go with Tom on this. I feel bad because, you know, I jacked you on your XCOM story, though, I mean, I don't feel well, that bad. You know bad. what, then maybe I might, I might end up scooping you because my game of the week, Good. I know it's going to be one you're eager to, to play, maybe talk about. Uh, All right. My game of the week is Darklight Conflict. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I've been wondering about that since the beginning of this podcast. Uh, 
Actually, I meant to look up the technical name of my game of the week, and I think I'm going to screw it up because it's a downloadable game that I forgot what it's actually called. I'm going to go out on a limb. I think it's called Zen Pinball 3D. You know <laughs> on the iPad? <laughs> no, no, no. On the uh, on the 3D? Are you kidding? On the oh, Nintendo? Oh, yeah. On the Nintendo 3DS. So Zen Pinball, the, the folks at Zen Studios, they are. Oh, rats. I want to say they are Romanian. I could be wrong about that. Anyway, they're over there across the ocean. Uh, they they did a, a game for the PS3 called Zen Pinball. I think there was an Xbox version of it. Uh, they have since done uh, FX Pinball. That's what it was on the 360, on the Xbox. Uh, they have since done FX Pinball 2. You can play it on the iPad. And starting today, tomorrow... Uh, the the twelfth, I believe, you can download for seven dollars on your Nintendo 3DS from the little Nintendo store, whatever they call it. Uh, I think it's called Zen Pinball 3D. And what you get for your seven dollars for your download? First of all, let me tell you what you don't get. You don't get any of those silly superhero tables. So that's kind of a shame. No, no. If you're like me and you're sick of having like Wolverine, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, table. I'd like a port of those because I mean they're good tables. I mean sometimes they get a little irritating, but some of them are pretty good. Well, you're not going to get that, McMaster. Here's what you get. <laughs> First of all, you get uh, two games, two tables that those of us who play Zen, Pin- who play Pinball FX2 a lot, might be familiar with. You get Earth Defense, which is a fantastic table. Yeah, yeah. I love that robot fella up there. You also yeah. get a table called uh, Excalibur. Which uh, is yeah. okay. Eh, yeah. <laughs> but more to the point, one of the really cool things about Pinball 3, Zen Pinball 3D uh, is you get two tables that aren't available for the 360 that are from the PS3 version when it was called Zen Pinball. You get a really goofy table called Shaman. Which is just at times it almost feels a little wrong. It's got all these like witch doctors playing bongos and giggling, and, and it's kind of colorful and uh, it's just a really goofy, fun table. You also get a table called El Dorado, which is a kind of an Indiana Jones Tomb Raider oh, uh, cool. searching for relics table, and it has a really cool totem pole that lifts up and gives you quests, and you shoot the ball into the the different levels of the totem pole's mouths, and it's got. I haven't really done it, but it's got this weird sort of tilty maze where you use the flippers to tilt a platform. It's like a super monkey ball kind of thing. Uh, so those two tables will be completely new to anybody who's been enjoying the pinball tables on the 360 or even on uh, the iPhone. Uh, one of the things I really like about it uh, is that the 3D actually works pretty well. Uh, a lot of 3DS games that I've played, I just slide down that 3D button because I don't really care about the 3D. But... It looks kind of cool to see that depth on a pinball table. So I really like the way the 3D works. And I also really like the fact that the dot matrix display, which is always problematic for me. I I only recently found out you can move it to the bottom of the screen on the Xbox 360. I used to have it up there at the top. And any time you glance up at the dot matrix display and try to read it, you're in danger of messing up your timing. So the dot matrix display is the bottom part of the 3DS. It's on that touch bottom which is right down there by your flippers i love that and it's big you know you can you you know it takes up half of that little touchpad there so while you're playing on the top half of the screen in the 3d just a little you know move your your gaze down just a few degrees you see the dot matrix display i like the placement there is the uh thumb uh bumper is that the tilt 
That's the uh, that's the the yeah jerk the table thing is the, yeah. the analog thumb button, uh, and of course the shoulder buttons are your flippers. Um, awesome. And it looks good. You know, I, I still I maintain that one of the best things about the Nintendo 3DS, which I really didn't expect, was how good it looks. You know, I'm it still does. things looking horrible on the Nintendo 3 on the on the DS normally, and just the the upgraded graphics on the 3DS. I just can't get over what a difference it makes yeah. for games like uh, Zen Pinball 3D. You know, before I played, um, I really I had one. I last year I played um, the Resident Evil, the one that's coming out pretty soon. Uh, is it Revelation, something like that? Uh, I played that one uh, at E3, and it you know it looks a lot like Resident Evil Five. You know? Sure, it's just really impressive, really yeah. impressive. Yep, Brian, are you are you a 3DS player? Do you have your Nintendo 3DS handy? I do not have any portable consoles at the moment. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. How do you play your iPhone games? I don't have an iPhone. Uh, I, I don't understand how you play your iPhone games, then. <laughs> I, don't have, I had an iPhone for a couple of years. I got bored with it, so I moved to Android. What's that? There's, there's still some games there. <laughs> yeah, I got, I've got some good games on my little phone, you know, when I play games. Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm also confused. How do you play Zen Pinball when you're just out and about? I... You might not like to hear this, but I really don't like pinball games. Yeah, I don't like to hear that one little bit, Brian. I'm sorry. I'm very unhappy with them. Deeply unhappy with your choice. I'm very sorry. I didn't think you'd want to hear that at all. I'm, I'm, I yeah. apologize. Brian, I am convinced. Go ahead, McMaster. When you eventually get an iPad 3, you'll see that there's a bunch of pinball games on there, too, that you'll like. The Zen, that's really cool. Uh, Brian, I am convinced that there's no such thing as a person who doesn't like pinball. There are just people who don't yet know that they like it. Maybe. Maybe. You'll be right. (laughs) Well, uh, I guess, Brian, you won't be playing Zen Pinball 3D anytime soon. No, Uh, sir. All right, so I guess you're not... You're enjoying it. I am so enjoying it, and it's got that uh, one of the really cool things about the later iterations of Zen's pinball tables is they build this great social dimension into it with uh, ranking your, you know, having leaderboards with your friends, and you get a team score, and even though it's a separate sort of a social network, that's totally built into the Nintendo 3DS as well, uh, so I'm glad to see that back. Uh, my team score currently, I need more people to get Thin Pinball 3D and friend me because my team score, which is your own score and all your friends' scores, is uh, is pretty lacking at this point. So, uh, McMaster, hurry up and get on that. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll have to. Uh, I'll try not to tell Sarah, but she'll see it. Oh, good Lord, yeah. We don't want your wife involved in this. I, I, <laughs> I'm really enjoying being at the top of my friends list right now, which is completely empty, and that's why I'm at the top of it. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want Sarah in there just yet. Yeah, no, it's nice to have that couple of days where you're like, yeah, she's not around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so there's my game of the week. Who's up next, McMaster? Uh, let's go with Brian. All right. Well, you, you guys might be surprised that my game of the week does not have spaceships in it. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa. Then how much touch surprised, yes. Yeah, I, maybe you don't realize this, Brian, but there are spaceships in Star Wars Old Republic. <laughs> I, I don't play that either. Sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not a big MMO person. Um, my game of the week came out a few months ago, so it's a little older, but I just got it for Christmas, and I've been playing the death out of it. It's uh, Driver San Francisco. <laughs> I'm, I'm clapping right now. Uh, I, I, I love that game so very much. I... I I, it's it's amazing. 
And I've, I've always loved quirky driving games, even back from Carmageddon, Midtown Madness. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. All those crazy, silly driving games. But this one is probably the best I've played out of all the wacky driving games I've played. It's now, just amazing. Brian, when, when, you, uh, when you first jumped into it or when you heard about it, uh, what did you think of this idea that you switch bodies amongst different drivers and therefore you can switch cars? Was that, was that a difficult sell for you, and how do you feel that works out? Absolutely not. It was not a difficult sell for me. Um, it's interesting. I've never played any of the driver games until this one, so I didn't have any baggage associated with the last few games. Apparently, they were awful, from what I understand. Um, but when I heard about the shift mechanic and, 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 and heard people talking about how innovative it was, it really intrigued me, because I, I love Quantum Leap and stuff like that. It was a great show. So I was interested by the idea, and I was interested that it's only driving. And I was also interested that it actually has a sense of humor and that it actually has characters that have some context. Yep. And um, so when I finally got the game and finally was able to ship for the first time, I was just blown away and I couldn't stop playing it. I'm still playing it two or three weeks later. I put in about 17, 18 hours into it so far, mm-hmm. which for someone with a short attention span like myself is saying something. Um, well, I would say, Brian, I think that's part of what makes it work so well. If you have a short attention span, you can just jump in and do a couple of little mini missions. Uh, and it's not because of the shift stuff. It's not like you're doing a race and, oh, you're in last place and you have to keep trying until you win. I mean, th- there are constantly things happening and you can move to a car at the head of the pack or whatever. Like yep. they, they keep it lively with that shift mechanic. Uh, oh. It really does things that I now miss in other driving games, in a way. I agree. I mean, I love one of the, I, I mean, I think the straight-on races are probably one of the weakest part of the game. Yeah. I mean, I love winning races by uh, shifting into oncoming traffic and just slamming the hell out of my competitors until they're knocked out. That is just so joyous. And, and I love, one of the things I love doing is just free driving around and jumping from car to car, finding a passenger and just listen to their little conversations. Isn't that so fantastic how much mileage they get out of that? I, I swear, I love it so much. I jumped into a uh, car, and there was an old man, old elderly gentleman in the passenger seat. And he was like, demon, get out of my wife's body. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and, um, and he was blind, apparently. So, like, you do a jump, he's like, we're flying? Are we flying? And then at one point, you're driving around, he's like, why do you drive like this? Did you learn to drive in a video game? I'm like, I'm laughing my ass off. And, and like, the best is, like, you're driving on the sidewalk. It's like, we learned to walk on the sidewalk and drive on the road. What exactly are you doing? And I was losing my mind. It was so funny. And it's just the sprighting is hilarious. Yeah, like, who knew that, that this company, I think it's, is it Reflections? Do you know who the yeah, developer Yeah. I believe it's Ubisoft Reflections. I think they did the original driving game, if my reading is correct. Yeah, they did. The driver series, I think, kicked around amongst a few different developers. These were some of the guys that did, if not the first one, at least some of the early ones. And whatever happened, somewhere along the line, they have people there who are genuinely funny and who write good, engaging dialogue. In a way, it's like the pedestrian dialogue you might hear in a GTA game. But because you're riding with a person in the car, you know, you get to hear some of the, the stuff play out like what Brian just described. Uh, yeah, I, I love just how funny and clever that the writing is in there. Uh, and it's not just that, but the gameplay is great. The missions, I mean, there's there's so much to do, which is wonderful. And the missions are very innovative and very unique. Like I had a mission where I had to drive a informant 
to a safe house, but you couldn't drive on the main roads because the more you did, his sense of paranoia would just increase, increase, increase. And it would play like this this pipe organ thing, increasing and increasing with along with his paranoia. So he had to drive through the alleyways yeah. to decrease his paranoia. And it's just stuff like that is incredible. It just blows my mind how innovative this game is. And I read somewhere that they felt the game, the series was going so badly, they felt they probably had nothing to lose, so let's try something different. And it just works. Yeah, yeah. You know, that makes me, when you when you explain it that way, Brian, I hope that more series fail. <laughs> That's sort of like, <laughs> if, if it takes, if that kind of... Sort if that kind of uh, if infusing something with that much life is is what is what you do with a dying series, then let more series die. I mean, the fact that they took a chance like that, uh, I think more video games need to do that. So very nice. I agree. I agree, and I even like the multiplayer. I'm not a yeah. big multiplayer person, and I played. I just tried out some of the multiplayer. I played one where you have to follow a DeLorean and follow its its trail. Mm-hmm. And you have to stay in its trail, and it was just so much fun. And and tag, oh my god, tag was amazing. And and talking too again that whole short attention span, like you're moving through all these different game modes with the same group of people playing different kinds of racing games uh, when you go mm-hmm. online. Like I, I love that system. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the and the only downside I think it has is that. The world of San Francisco isn't as realized as, say, um, Midnight Club Los Angeles, which had a much better world to it. Right, right. Um, but it's funny. Like, the other day I was thinking, why is there never any fog, and why is it always uh, nighttime? Why is it always daytime? And you think, it's in this guy's head. It's how he wants San Francisco to be. So, <laughs> you know. Very good, Brian. Very good. <laughs> uh, Do you know about this game, um, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. I haven't played it. I, I'd like to, but yeah. In a it way, came out during the great, great, you know, freaking yeah. game season of Aught Eleven. In a way, yeah. I would say it's a driving game for people who think they don't like driving games. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's, it's just so fabulous in every yeah. possible way. All right, good. So, Driver San Francisco. I'm so glad you brought that up, Brian. That was certainly one of my favorite games from last year. Uh, and I, I hope it's doing well for them because you know you mentioned some of the shortcomings with the city, the world building. You know, if this is like a financial success for them and they put the resources into addressing some of that stuff, uh, I can only imagine where they would go from here. Well, I did read a story that uh, from Ubisoft, I think it was, that said that Driver San Francisco did better than they expected. Good. As well it should have. Yeah. Agreed. All right, so McMaster, I think that ends the show. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> wait, oh, wait, no, wait, wait. Yeah, you no, must yeah. not love you your You want mine, huh? Yeah. No, uh, no, I really do. Um, I actually, <laughs> I've been going a little indie game nuts lately. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I downloaded Project Zomboid. Mm, now, is that done yet, dadgummit? It's, I mean, you know, it's in a pre-alpha build. I mean, you, like, oh. uh, or an alpha build. I wouldn't say pre, but, like, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Okay, well, explain what explain what it is. Yeah, what for, for the uninitiated, uh-huh. what the heck is Project Zomboid? All right. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, what do they call those Hollywood pitches where you say this meets this? What, what was that, Tom? You'd know, Mister Mister. Uh, it's a this meets this pitch. Okay, good. So, <laughs> Project Zomboid is something like Left 4 Dead meets The Sims. <laughs> what? Uh, the whole point of the game is that you're going to die. There's no way out of this. 
Uh, it's the apocalypse, the zombie-based apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And you are dropped in the middle of a large city that has like a suburb area, a suburban area around it as well. And uh, you survive as long as you can. You have different statistics. Uh, you know, you, you build a character in a way which is sort of reminiscent of like the vampire uh, storyteller system where you can have, you know, the perks and then the, you know, you, you choose like a, a, a negative and then you can replace those points with a, a positive, et cetera, et cetera. And there, there's stuff like, you know, um, clumsy, you know, as a, as a negative. Um, so but, like uh, the Sims, like where you're picking your made traits right. in the Sims. Yep. So, but uh, when you get into the game, you have to survive. You have to. You have to eat. You have to. Uh, you know, kill zombies. Obviously, you have to uh, move throughout the city, uh, or you could just uh, hold up for as long as possible. But I mean, your character has statistics about their boredom and like their mental, you know, peak in a way. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I'm actually gonna. I'm kind of working on writing a piece for a quarter to three about it. <laughs> so uh, it's a. It's basically McMaster. It sounds like a full featured, survive zombie apocalypse survival RPG. Correct. Right, and uh, graphically, it's it's kind of uh, it has a like a retro look. It's not like uh, it's it's more pixely. It's not mine. Like, yeah. It's it's not it's not as uh, it's not as basic as Minecraft. But how about, it, how about uh, uh, that dungeon game on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred? Is it like that? No, no, I think it does better than that. Uh, it, it has uh, graphics probably like one step down from the original Sims. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, it's it's got kind of like almost like a, a sprites. But anyway, um, you move throughout the game. It has a grid system. Uh, much like uh, XCOM, etc. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's, but it's of course not turn-based. And uh, you have the choice of starting with uh, story mode or uh, sandbox mode. Mm-hmm. And sandbox mode, you create a character of your choice. Of course, they have templates and they're adding more as they go. Uh, stuff like firefighter, policeman, security guard, and stuff like security guard, who, which is what I played the first time, has like a perk of a uh, night owl. So of course, they sleep during the day. Um, uh, but uh, for the story modes, you can choose. Um, I can't believe, or I can't remember the name of the actual scenario. There's only one at current. But your wife uh, has a broken leg, and you're you have certain objectives. Like you have to find uh, bandages or make bandages uh, to. Uh, like uh, patch her up, find pain pills, go find lumber, and like uh, barricade the doors, um, that kind of thing. But the, the game's uh, crafting system reminds me of Minecraft. Hmm. Um, oh. You take several items and you combine them. Uh, for instance, to make uh, to to oh, one of the food items is soup. You have to have a pot, a uh, can opener, and a can of soup. And you combine that, and it makes like a pot of soup. And then you can put it in the oven. And you have to turn the ovens on and off, which, uh, funny story about that. Um, I have no idea. So uh, with my security guard character, I run, uh, you know, you're, you run a lot in this game. Um I run to this house, and I, like, uh, the front door is locked. I run around to the back. I I throw the door open. I close it behind me. I start wandering around the house looking for stuff. And um, I I really like it. It's like a large house. It's uh, got a lot of stuff in it. It it seems like a good place to hole up. So 
I uh, just, you know, there's not really an instruction manual, so uh, I'm just kind of feeling the game out. I uh, I go and I'm trying to figure out how to cook all this food I have because food does uh, go bad. Like uh, the chicken will rot, you know, stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I better cook some of this stuff. So I, I put it in the oven and I turn it on and I sit there a little bit and I'm like, okay, nothing's happening. So whatever. And I was like, well, I need to find some uh, wood to, you know, bar up the doors. So I run to the house next door and I'm looking around and as I'm walking up the stairs, I see a like house fire next door. So basically, I set the damn house on fire. I'm just gonna live in. Did you at least get your wife with her broken leg out of there? Oh no, this uh, she was somewhere else. Okay, She's in good. A house, so yeah, yeah, we were good there. Yeah, um, but it, it's really fascinating, and, and I think my favorite, one of my favorite things about it is there's not like a soundtrack. You just kind of hear the sounds of the game, so there's no music going on in the background. I, I really wasn't paying attention to it at first. It, it gets kind of uh, intense, and it's it's a really weird experience just being in dead silence or hearing the pattering rain and zombies groaning as they come for you and. It has like a, a really fascinating like it, it uses like line of sight, so there is still that um, <clears throat> like chance of just being surprised by zombies. Um, now you mentioned it's a it's a, an alpha build. What are the current limitations in terms of what you can and can't do? Like, does it feel feature complete? Are there gaps where oh you can't do this system yet or this part yeah. isn't built in? You can't save your game, so there is that. But and there's no there's there's no real tutorial you know they, it, there's little things that uh, if you play through the story there's some stuff in there that kind of helps you along but there's no real tutorial for it. Um, now when you say you can't save your game once you you can't stop playing your security guard without him just dying or what what happens with if you want to shut it down for the night? Then yeah he's gone. <laughs> yeah I know I, that was a total. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that, that that gets added, but uh, <laughs> it's it, to, in a way it really didn't bother me that much because it's kind of a it, it kind of fascinated me the idea of maybe there isn't a save in the game because and it, you, ne- are, you never it, like continue a character you know <laughs> right uh, is the city procedurally generated is there dynamic content or it's just one city mapped out it's the same every time how, how is that handled. You know, I will say I honestly do not know. Uh, Now, um, I've played several characters, and you end up in different areas every time. Ah. But uh, that I've seen so far, so it has. I haven't seen the same stuff, you know. Like, uh, and there are survivors. You know, I haven't actually talked to any of them, but I believe that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've mostly just seen them either getting murdered or. Um, yeah, no, it was pretty much just getting murdered. Uh, now I did. Well, one guy did run. I'll give him that. But you know, you'll like I broke into a grocery store and I'm like looting it, and I just see this dude outside just wailing away on zombies. But eventually they they got him. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, it's kind of fascinating. Like uh, they've also just added like uh, modding support using uh, the Lua scripting language, so that'll hopefully encourage. And who is this? A one-man team, or like a one-man developer? Is it a small team? What, what do we know about who made it? It's a small team, and they've been very unfortunate. Uh, if I, if I'm, oh, remember. these, yeah, you're yeah. right. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Oh no, yeah, I feel bad. Yeah, they feel bad. Robbed or something, right? Yeah, they had their source code stolen and all that stuff. Yes. So yeah, I was like, you know, it's seven bucks. I'll, I'll purchase a key. <laughs> but. uh... So yeah, it's uh, it's actually uh, it's really neat, you know. It, it has a total 
uh, it's so weirdly The Sims, you know, because you'll be sitting there walk, running along, and then your character, you'll see a little icon. It's like your character is horrified, you know, and then it like that reduces your aim and stuff like that. Or if your character is like bored or so and so, and like you'll get hungry, of course. Um, it sounds a lot know. like work. Sure, it's not like, like, like life. Sure. You know, it's it's like Minecrafty in a way, is what it kind of reminds me of, but it's just the whole, like, you're dropped in the middle of something here, survive. <laughs> and now, Brian, you say it sounds a lot like life. I can't speak for your life, but I don't have many zombies in my life. Uh, I haven't met my friends, so uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, um, but no, I mean, the hungry thing and the gotta make sure the food doesn't spoil thing, that, that kind of stuff bugs me. Honestly, I, I I don't want to deal with that in a game. I can uh, yeah, I can completely understand that. Uh, there are there are games that that would irritate me in, but I feel like to an extent that's like the whole point of the game. It's kind of like the 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 idea of the survival mode in Minecraft. What it, it really uh, what I really like about that is the fact that you are it's like man against uh, nature kind of you know. Well, I kind of feel like the there's a whole genre called survival horror which is oh, yeah. the, the way that it's turned out, survival horror is mainly a matter of, of saving your bullets. Uh, and I, I would like to see more survival horror really getting into the nitty-gritty details of survival. I love that Project Zomboid is doing that. I know cool. that, for instance, there's a series on AMC called Walking Dead, and that, yeah. for, for some people, is a disappointment, is that it's less about what we thought it might be about early on, the nitty-gritty details of trying to survive in this situation, and it becomes kind of soap opera-y. So I know that there is... Even even if it's not in the game for you, there, there's certainly a demand for survival horror that puts the emphasis on the survival just as much on the horror parts. Um, yeah, I'm, I really hope it, it works out for them uh, because it's it's something that is a really cool uh, thing just to play with. Uh, it's fascinating to go, you know, I mean, there's little glitches, of course, like sometimes, st- like, you know, food and stuff will, will be on the floor instead of on a shelf or something, but, you know, those are easily forgiven, and there, it, it's just kind of fascinating, you because you're, you start in a house or something, and you go outside, you have no idea what's around, there's not a map, you know, you just start running and praying. Uh, McMaster, do we know when, do they have a, a schedule in terms of when they expect it to be complete, or is it just a when it's done kind of deal? Uh, I'm going to say it's probably a when it's done kind of deal, because they've been working on this for a while. I've been following it for probably over a year now. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, as soon as uh, yeah, I found out that you can actually play some of it, that's when I had to go ahead and Yeah, that, that theft happened last summer, I think. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, that probably put them behind. Yeah, they've uh, they've had a lot of problems, and uh, yeah, they they are a small team. It's like uh, I think four people. Right. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully they start getting some sales. You know, I mean, Minecraft, <laughs> that's gonna make anybody kind of want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so McMaster Project Zomboid Game of the Week once again. Jason T. McMaster picks a game that isn't even out yet. <laughs> uh, I do's what I can. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that is the quarter three movie podcast for us. Uh, yeah. Master, what should we do on this podcast next week, and with whom should we do it? All right, next week, my friends, we will speak of games, movies, again, uh, movies. You said <laughs> ah, screwed me up. All right, Brian Rubin has done to us. <laughs> I know. Games, news, and post of the week, and our guest next week is Sapper Gopher.
Right. Oh, he just did a uh, game diary for us, so we'll we'll grill him on that. Uh, uh, Brian, did you play Sweet Coden Four? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's because you don't uh, have PS Two. Aha! No, I, I have. Actually, I have that three. I think on the. Uh, we'll see if he picks that for his uh, game of the week when Sapper <laughs> yeah. joins us uh, next week. Brian, thanks yeah. so much for for hanging out. Uh, I'm so glad you brought up Driver San Francisco. That's a game that needs to be discussed on any podcast. I and agree. <laughs> and thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, before you go, tell us real quick, what other loot did you get for Christmas that you're looking forward to playing in the coming days and weeks? Well, that was the only game That was the only game I got for Christmas, but I got a couple of shows that I'm looking forward to seeing. I, I got Rome on Blu-ray that I've never seen before. Hmm. No, uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I got Back to the Future on Blu-ray, which I'm looking forward nice. to revisiting. Yeah, so I got some good. I got a good haul this year. Yeah, sounds when you, good. When you say you got Back to the Future, you mean like is there like a box set for all three movies or something? Yeah, there's a box. There's a Blu-ray box set that's been out for I think a little less than a year now, and it's got tons of extras and it's got like new extras of the cast looking back at the series and stuff like that. It looks like a really great set. Is, is there back- any Crispin and Glover like in the <laughs> looking back? Because <laughs> I would buy it for that. I don't think he is. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's he wasn't too happy about that. Uh, is, is Back to the Future 3 awful? No, I liked it. Uh, okay. I liked it a lot better than 2, but a lot of I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me on that. All right. All right, Brian, good luck with those, uh, and I hope that you that Back to the Future 3 holds up. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. the one I saw. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theaters. I remember being disappointed. I, I should probably give it another chance. Uh, yeah, it's fun. All right. Uh, all right. So uh, this has been the Quarter to Three podcast. If you're listening, please, please rate us on iTunes. A few of you had, and we deeply appreciate that. If more of you would, we would deeply appreciate that as well. Uh, we look forward to hanging out with you next week with Sapper Gopher. And once again, Brian, thank you, and we will see you around on the forums. Thanks. Good night, guys. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, I hope the music companies don't sue us. Yeah, isn't that the part where Tommy Lee Jones is on the moon or whatever, and Clint Eastwood's <laughs> land in the ship? And oh, McMaster. <laughs> <laughs>